Our reading this morning is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. So hear the word of God. And it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good, good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So says the prophet Isaiah. And as Paul runs through the list of items of equipment that a Roman soldier puts on when he's getting ready for battle and uses that as a picture of the armour of God, there can be a little doubt that this verse from Isaiah is in his mind. Because he mentions having your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And those are the only two verses in the scriptures that talk about feet and good news and peace. So the two verses are linked somehow but it's not immediately clear how. How does the armour of God and having your feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace relate to Isaiah's description of beautiful feet running across the mountains bringing the good news that God is king? Are we called to put our boots on so that we can be ready to take the good news of God's peace out into all the world, to be ready to share the gospel with anyone and everyone we could meet. I could preach, thank you, I could preach a sermon on that, but I don't think that's what Paul actually had in mind here in Ephesians chapter 6. Because in Ephesians 6 he's talking about getting dressed in a suit of armour, and your boots are part of that armour, complete with breastplate, shield, helmet and sword, and all of that points towards taking your place in a battle line, rather than being sent as a messenger to proclaim the news of God's victory. And in fact, when it came to running, Roman boots were about as useful as a pair of Wellingtons. And this may have been deliberate, because when a disciplined army advances, it marches together. 
if soldiers are running, particularly there's a danger they might be running away. The Romans didn't run, they just advanced in a single formation. The Jewish historian tells us of an incident in which a Roman centurion was fighting some Jews in Jerusalem, and he was getting the better of them, and he ran after them, but his, his boots were full of nails, which was the standard issue at that time, so that whatever ground you're in, you would stand firm and you wouldn't give way. And uh, this was supposed to give the Roman soldiers a firm footing as they stood in the battle line, but as a soldier, he ran after them onto the smooth pavement in the temple, and the nails in his boots slipped, and he slipped over, and uh, as he fell to the ground, his arm made such a clang as he fell to the ground that all those running away from him turned round, saw what had happened, and came back and attacked him with spears and with swords and killed him. So whatever boots were useful for in the Roman army, they weren't any good for running. You didn't put them on to kind of run across the mountains and bring news anywhere. So, so what is it about? What is, what is Paul talking about when he talks about the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and putting our boots on so that we will be ready? I suspect from the moment boots were invented, the image of having your boots on has served as a symbol for being ready and prepared. And if you've not had time to get your boots on, then you are caught by surprise. It's a little bit like having your trousers down, I suppose. But they didn't have trousers in those days. So it's natural enough for Paul to associate having your boots on with being ready. But ready for what? Given that all the other bits of armour combine to prepare you for battle, Paul can scarcely be talking about anything but being ready to take your place in the battle line alongside others. <coughs> yeah, there's a bit of a paradox here. Why should the good news of the gospel of peace necessitate us getting ready for a fight? And to understand that, you have to look at the message that was the core of the good news of peace that's being proclaimed in that verse in Isaiah. The message is, your God reigns. Your God is in charge. Your God is king. And that, that is the point of contention. The claim is where the conflict originates. Because as C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And if you take a stand for God, if you acknowledge God's claim on your life as king of your heart, there will be opposition, there will be difficulty, there will be problems because God's reign is disputed and opposed in the world in which we live. In the Roman world, the world in which Paul was writing, the good news of peace, standard issue, as commonly recognised by everybody, was that Caesar is Lord. The Pax Romana, the peace established by the mighty empire of Rome, enforced at the point of a Roman sword. Rome brought prosperity and peace to the world. That was their proclamation, so long as you did as you were told. And to say, Jesus is Lord, was seen as a challenge to the supremacy of Caesar. Bottom line, if God reigns, Caesar does not. God's kingdom trumps the might of the Roman Empire. 
And although Paul is sitting in a Roman prison writing these words, he still affirms and asserts that Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate Lord. And in fact, we're still here celebrating the Lordship of Christ today and the Roman Empire is long gone. It is ancient history. But Paul knew that there was no possibility of a power-sharing agreement between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Roman Emperor. As he's declared earlier in the letter to the Ephesians, Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, every power and dominion, any title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And if Paul's gospel of peace declares that our God reigns, that Jesus, rather than the Roman Emperor, is in charge, then if you take your stand on that gospel, and you acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, you had better get ready for a fight. Because that claim does not go unchallenged. And Paul, writing these words from Roman prison, knew that better than anybody else. The absolute claim that Jesus is Lord leads to conflict. Of course, the last thing on his mind is any kind of armed resistance against the military might of the Roman Empire. That would have been entirely futile. And actually to take up arms in that kind of way would have been a denial of the gospel of peace. Besides, Paul makes it clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So in this fight, it's not about fighting fire with fire. It's about attacking and undermining and destroying the underlying ideology that sustained the Roman Empire and every human, political and religious movement that has refused to bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord ever since. Including secularism, fundamentalist Islam, communism, the new atheism, materialism, every kind of totalitarianism. In the face of such opposition, it takes courage to declare and assert that Jesus is Lord. And it's dangerous, because the opposition can and frequently does become violent. They reckon that more Christians died as martyrs in the last century than in the whole of the preceding period of history. In many parts of the world, the call to take up your cross and follow Jesus isn't just a metaphor for self-denial. It is a call to martyrdom. There were reports at the beginning of this month of 33 people in North Korea being arrested and sentenced to death for working with a Baptist missionary from South Korea to distribute Bibles and to set up churches. In some parts of our world today, signing up to live for Jesus really does mean signing up to die for Jesus. Wherever you live in the world, signing up to live for Jesus will mean that every day you need to put on your spiritual armour because living for him is going to be a struggle. 
and a fight. There is a battle being fought. Because as Tom Wright rightly says, that battle is rooted in the desire and firm foundation of the Creator God to re-establish his loving, saving sovereignty over the whole of his creation. Death and his henchmen's sin are rebels, intruders, destroyers of the good creation. And all those spiritual forces that seek to turn people against each other in violence and hatred must be resisted and overcome in the name of Jesus. <coughs> we as God's church establish God's victory over the alienating power of sin by being ourselves a united community. People who embody the reconciling peace of Christ that knows no barriers. That peace that Christ released into the world through his death on the cross, which defeated the principalities and the powers that have rebelled against God's rule over his creation. So yes, if you want to live for Jesus this week, you will need to put your boots on and be ready for a struggle. Ready to stand firm, to hold the line with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The good news is that God reigns, our God reigns. But those who reject that life-giving message of peace will oppose you if you live as someone who declares that Jesus is Lord. You will need not just your boots, but every bit of the armour God gives you if you're going to stand your ground. And what are the weapons we fight with? What do we use to defend ourselves, to hold the line? We start with the belt of truth. Honesty. Integrity telling it like it is, siding with God who is the father of truth, not with the devil who is the father of lies, standing up for what we know and right to be true, God's truth, all truth, speaking what is right. And closely associated with that is the breastplate of righteousness, saying and doing the right thing. In, a, in an area of, of shifting moral values where there are so many shades of grey, that actually I know that this is the right thing to do in these circumstances. And embracing God's truth and making it our truth. Embracing the gift of righteousness that God gives us in Christ and living it out in practice. That is how we're called to live. But speaking the truth and doing what is right can easily create tension with those who don't live that way. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing rather than what other people expect or want you to do, you will need your breastplate to protect you, to give you the strength to do that, to be different. But you will have the shield of faith which will enable you to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all those accusations levelled against you, all those things said to you or about you or against you, ways that people find to get at you or undermine you, all these things overcome by faith and trust that God is with you and can and does and will always take your part. You belong to him. Nothing anyone else says or does will ever be able to change that. Make him your security. Not what, other, not what other people think of you, not the fact that you're liked by other people, or the fact that you succeed in this or that. Christ alone is our security and our strength and our protection.
And wear as well the helmet of salvation which proclaims that you are on the winning side because Jesus has died and is risen and the victory is already won. And because of that, your ultimate salvation is guaranteed. The final outcome is unalterable. And even if you don't win every battle, the ultimate victory is assured because Jesus has won it already. Because of what Christ has done, your salvation is guaranteed. And then, and then there is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Can you imagine a Roman soldier getting dressed in all the stuff and then saying to his attendant, I don't think I'll take my sword into battle today. Don't think I'll need it. Where does that come from? That surely is the one thing that is essential in the piece of equipment. Something to defend yourself with, something to fight the enemy with. And yet, if you go into your day, your week, without taking the word of God with you. Maybe just a verse of, script, verse of scripture on your phone. That is the equivalent of going, standing in the battle line against the enemy with no sword. It's God's word that breaks down those strongholds that Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 10. Take God's word with you into the day because it will enable you to make an impact on those situations you encounter. It will equip you with what you need to make a positive difference, to influence the outcome of situations for good, for God. Because it will help you know what is the right thing to do in any and every given circumstance. And lastly, pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Ask God to govern your mind, to control your thoughts, to safeguard your heart and your feelings, to be your help so that you can do some good and to be your shield to protect you. For God to be in charge of you and your response to every person you encounter and every situation you face. In the traditional words of St. Patrick's breastplates, part of his prayer says this, I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead. His eye to watch. His might to stay. His ear to hearken to my need. The wisdom of my God to teach. His hand to guide. His shield to ward. The word of God to give me speech. The heavenly host to be my guard. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. In the words of Paul himself, this week, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put it on so that when the day of evil comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, still to be standing in the truth and the strength and the grace and the armour of God.